0: To the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusip and I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I am here again with Yusip Roine. What's up?
0: Hey, Toby. I think I've lost count on how many episodes we've done so far. So. Probably time goes fast when you're having fun. Um, what I've been up to lately, so I'll spare you the details on having these eternal Mondays where you wake up and every day is the same. Uh, but one interesting thing, thing though, that I have I thought I'd share, uh, my oldest one, he's 12 now, he got his own PC last year. And, and by PC, I mean like a workstation. And now that Finland is more or less doing, how, how should I put it, fairly okay in the current crisis situation. Uh, my boy asked that could he go to do an overnight with his friend and he'd like to bring his PC there so they could have this sort of a LAN party, just like we did in 1995. Yeah, I, I remember so. those. <laughs> and, and of course, I was delighted that he probably got some of my genes in there. So we pack the PC and, and I make extra sure that, do you have everything? Do you have the display? Do you have the HDMI cable? Do you have this, this, and this? Yeah, 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 I've, I've got everything. I even threw in a couple of Ethernet cables just in case. So he goes there. I don't hear anything, which is normal for him. And then two hours later, he, he calls me on WhatsApp and says, Dad, I cannot get Internet connectivity to work on the PC. I'm like, mm, okay, let's let's debug this remotely because I don't want to drive there again. And he goes like, yeah, they only have Wi-Fi in here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so that's a bit of a problem. So what does your, your friend have? Well, he has a PC as well, but he has a Wi-Fi adapter in there. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting interesting approach. Uh, so I, I'm thinking, should I go to the nearby store, buy this PCI Wi-Fi adapter for his PC, go there and install, and that takes about two hours? No, I definitely don't want to do that. So I said, try to find the, the modem. They probably have ADSL. Yeah, yeah. So find that. They probably have a switch or a hub or something in there. Plug it in there and make sure you have firewall on. And 20 minutes later, he, he pings me on WhatsApp. Yeah, it's working now. So I'm, I'm teaching him to be a good hacker now.
1: That's good. It reminds me of the old days when you, when you did the LAN parties and the LAN sleepovers. You know, Back then, at least when, when I did it, there was no real Wi-Fi. That was you plugged it into an Ethernet switch or a hub. That's it, because hub was the thing you had it, you know, back then. Yeah, either a a hub or a switch. You plug your cable in, and you had twenty-five cables on the floor because we were a lot of people in the room, and it was just spaghetti.
0: Exactly. So the thing that I'm I'm getting for him now is a small one gigabit switch like a super small couple of cables. So whenever they run into a situation like this next time, I can just say, just plug in the switch and get it connected.
1: But I mean, what what about just a laptop though?
0: Yeah, he has a laptop as well, but apparently now you need to have 144 hertz with the display, something, something gaming that I don't even understand anymore. So the real PC is the only option now and (laughs) yeah. For, for me, it's better because if something starts to become too slow, I can replace components. But with the laptop, it's more like, yeah, let's get a new laptop. And the old one, you do nothing with. Yep. So in that sense, he's learning. So that's, that's for me. How about for you, Toby? So
1: for me, I have done uh, one analog and one digital thing. Um, and the analog thing is I have perfected the craft of dressing my lawn. So it's a very small piece of grass, uh, but it is very green and healthy, and I spend meticulous many hours just really, really trimming it and you know putting the fertilizer on it and making sure that it's actually you know behaving and, and it's it's starting to look really nice so it's uh it's something that i do I do a lot of gardening, as I've mentioned in the past in, in these episodes. I do a lot of uh, gardening and planting and um uh, you know one of the things is taking care of the lawn and now i'm at the point that everything looks awesome so i don't know what to do next so now i probably need to plant a tree or something and and start taking care of that Um, so i'm happy with that Uh, a bit of meditation over the weekend to uh, to spend time on that Uh, other than that i have extensively enjoyed the new windows packet manager uh, but we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that in this episode Um, So what is this episode
0: about? Uh, So this episode is about favorite announcements from Build. And now that you said Windows Packet Manager, I'm thinking here, is it Windows Package Manager or Windows Packet Manager? But we'll get to that in a bit. So Microsoft Build this year is two days, 48 hours, digital only, nobody will go anywhere in person. And it's been interesting because now everybody is equal, meaning anybody can attend. You do not need to travel. You do not need to have your expenses paid. You do not need to have a hotel. You can sit at the comfort of your own home. Uh, Just watch the key segments, so they're not called keynotes this year. Just watch those. Watch the different sessions. You get the recordings as well. And I stayed up quite late last night because the timing is a bit off for us in Europe, but I, I was immensely pleased with the amount and the quality of the content. How about for you?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, it's the first time, of course, that I'm attending Build live because I guess it's the, the first time it's real live. And I've been at remote conferences a lot and we even had an episode in this podcast about conferences, whether to go or not. Um, in the early days of the, the launching this podcast. And we talked about that. And I am extremely pleased with the delivery of Build so far. And like you just mentioned, you don't need the logistics. You don't need to travel. You don't need to to get a hotel and, and stuff like this and expenses. I actually read a tweet from someone at Microsoft who mentioned that this is by far the biggest conference they've ever done with more than 200,000 signed up attendees that's pretty cool so if i had to guess i'm gonna say that virtual events are here to stay
0: for sure uh, obviously the challenge in there is for anybody else than microsoft how do you make money if you do a virtual event of of course you can sell tickets but if the premium events are now free it's quite hard for somebody else to say please pay 50 euro to, to listen in on our content, so that's probably something we'll we'll need to discuss in the future as well, so looking at the announcements, so there's a lot of announcements, and we thought that for this episode, we'll kind of pick and choose the favorite ones for now, and then for future episodes, we'll probably dissect a few of those in in more depth so toby if if you start what's what's sort of the few favorite ones
1: <laughs> so A few favorite ones, Um, you know, I actually, when I followed the key segments and and announcements yesterday and the Azure blogs and the .NET blogs and all of this, I I think I made more than 90 link notes uh, to things I have to read up on that looks awesome. But if I were to pick a couple of ones, there is one in particular, which is a fairly small thing that did just kind of float by but it's live now in my Azure environment and I already tried it out. That is something called um, consent controls for Azure AD. Okay. And that means that you as an IT admin, or in my case, I'm the head of technical operations, I need to maintain and, and ensure that everything is operational and also take care of what my users are doing, right? So in the organization, I can now control what they consent to. Right? Because in the past, you could say, well, whitelist this app, blacklist that app, things like that. Now you have more granular, kind of wider controls. So with the consent controls, you can say as an IT admin that you control the types of applications end users can consent to. So there's now something called verified publisher, right? Mm-hmm. So when you create an actual AED app, you can get verified as a publisher saying that this is actually an authentic, uh, authentic app. From a verified publisher and then in your organization where your users are working you can say in our Azure AD we only allow admin consent to applications that are verified publishers. So as an app developer which I am also I can now become a verified publisher and verify that I'm actually building authentic good apps non-malicious apps. And on the consumer side or the, the user side, I can control that my users can only consent to verified apps. So this is pretty cool. That's one of my absolute favorites.
0: All righty. That's, that's interesting. And I knew about the consent controls uh, in the sense that it's more like a blanket control that you often just quickly click to get the admin approval in there. So this is definitely something I need to test as well. Let me throw another one from my list of favorites. So I was going through the announcements uh, during the first day of build. It was the evening about six o'clock my time when they started with the, uh, with the key segments. And I was looking at the announcements. I was also writing a couple of blog articles on, on how the key segments were flowing and what sort of insights I could extract from those. I'll put the link in the show notes for that. Uh, the other one is Windows Terminal 1.0 is now generally available.
1: Woo-hoo.
0: And we've discussed Windows Terminal a couple of times, kind of briefly on the side, so we perhaps need to have one episode on that. We did have one episode on the battle of the command lines. Yeah. And at the time, Windows Terminal was 0.8 or 0.7. Now it's ready, it's generally available, which means that you can now use this in production, you can deploy this centrally in an enterprise, and it also means that, that certain milestones have been met, and now for the summer, we'll start getting new previews on the next release. Are you still using Commander, or have you switched over to Windows Terminal?
1: I was just about to say, um, you know, as of the last couple of days, with the build announcements and Windows Terminal becoming uh, generally available with version 1.0, I actually moved over trying to do most things there. It has tabs, just like I do in Commander. It got all these kind of fancy configurations I can do with it, uh, but moreover, it has native integration with the Azure Cloud Shell. Yeah. So I can just say, I don't know if it is Control Shift 3 or whatever, and it launches an Azure Shell in a new tab, and I can just do AZ Login, You know to my whatever subscription and I get in there and I do whatever I need to do and then I can just log out and that's all from within the terminal so my days of commander they're not entirely done and dusted but I am most likely replacing all of my other command lines with Windows terminal definitely
0: alrighty so so which one next
1: so for me, there is something that I actually installed yesterday. And that's the, in the, in the beginning, I mentioned Windows Packet Manager. And you, you kind of said, do you mean packet or package? Um, I think I mean package. But the Swedish yes. word for package is packet, which is packet. So that's why I'm confusing that. Um, and I blame my, my me not being an English native speaker. Um, so this is a package Package manager <laughs> for for <laughs> Windows, and it's pretty cool. The uh, short name for it is WinGet, and you can do things like if you've used Chocolatey in the past. I don't know if you've tried that. You'll see. Uh,
0: yeah, I've I've used it every now and then, but to be honest, I'm I'm not the typical hacker. I don't need to install 17 different applications per day. I install the setup that I need when I reinstall my Windows 10 and then I'm mostly set for the next two years.
1: Yeah, so so I used Chocolaty a lot in the past, and I did that because I had, maybe I, I dished out new dev environments to more than myself, to multiple uh, users or multiple dev environments that should be the same, but I didn't want to use an image or whatever, because of course you can use your own machine and whatever, just use these tools. And Chocolatey was a way to say, you know what, here's a list of tools, just install them using the Chocolatey Packet Manager. Now, This is native with Windows. You can install the Windows Packet Manager, Package Manager. Yeah. (laughs) And and then you can just type WinGet install terminal if you want to install the terminal we just talked about. Or WinGet install something else I tried with the the Power Toys, which we can talk about a little bit later, I guess. And I like this idea where you can just say, whatever package you would need to install, I think you can even install Vicious Studio. So like install Visual Studio Enterprise and Winget install Vicious Studio Enterprise or whatever the name is, and bam, it goes into your machine.
0: I've, I've got a funny story from last night. Uh, when they announced the Windows package manager, the Winget, and I was I was watching uh, one of the key segments. I was typing away on, on that blog article at the same time and having a couple of back-channel chats. I did a quick search, I found the installation instruction, how do you get the the Winget on your machine, and then I needed to try that out. So I did Winget search Visual Studio. And it gives you a list of all the different editions. There's the Community, the Enterprise, the Professional, and Visual Studio Code. And and I wanted to install Visual Studio Enterprise because last week I reinstalled my main PC, and I haven't had a chance to install Visual Studio yet. So I did WinGet install visual studio dot enterprise something. And it started installing nicely. I forgot about that. I continued doing my blog thing and watching the key segments. And then suddenly my PC starts rebooting. No. Everything shuts down and it goes, please wait, rebooting. I'm like, no, no, cancel, cancel, cancel. I've got everything open. And and luckily I had a notepad open with unsaved changes. So it stops there and asks, are you sure you want to boot? No, I want to cancel. And I I kind of forgot that I started installing Visual Studio. I'm like, what triggered this? Is there something shady in my PC? And I spent Mm -hmm. like five minutes going through the event logs. Then I figured, oh yeah, I was installing that. So perhaps have a look at the, uh, the, the WinGet parameters if, if, if there's this sort of no reboot command or something so that you don't run into the same situation as I did.
1: Yeah, um, that's a good tip. I and mean, it's also a good tip to keep a notepad with unsafe changes open because I, yeah. I also realized for Windows Update, you go get a co- cup of coffee and Windows thinks that, hey, you're inactive, let's reboot but you have like 25 windows open. But if you have this notepad with unsaved changes, it never reboots, so that's also my my kind of safe line.
0: There's another pro tip here in Windows 10 settings, and I think this is from 1909, or is it 1911 from last year, the latest update before the May 2004 update. There's a small switch that's not enabled by default that says, resume my apps after a reboot. Mm -hmm. So when you switch that on, it opens Edge and Spotify and Teams, everything kind of back to how how they were. And it mostly works for most of the applications. So that saved me a couple of times. Nice. So, um, we went through Windows Package Manager, Windows Terminal, Azure AD, Concept and Controls. Uh, What else? So one thing that strikes me
1: as very interesting is because I work a lot with operations and development. And one of the things that I need to cater for in my organization is uh, CI builds, continuous deployment, CI CD pipelines, things like that. And now uh, the, the uh, CD pipelines or continuous deployment pipelines in Azure DevOps uh, have YAML support. So you can use multi-stage CI and CD pipelines In Azure DevOps, this is now GA, generally available. So you can build dev um, and then deploy to, to dev, QA, testing, and then production with whatever gates in between that you need from the pipelines. So if you're an Azure DevOps fan and you use Azure DevOps, you know that there's pipelines, there's environments, there's releases and all these kind of things. Now we just talk about the pipeline. So there's a CI and CD option in the pipeline itself uh, so you can actually make your releases and everything from this pipeline now using YAML. So that's pretty slick. I really like this.
0: Sounds, sounds really good. I need to try that out as well. Another interesting thing, and and this was sort of casually mentioned at some point during the key segments, uh, is the static web apps in, in Azure now. And the documentation is already available, as is the The service in Azure, so if you go to Azure Portal and you go to Marketplace and search for static web apps, that's the one you want. And what it allows you to do is create a web app with static content only, meaning you don't need a backend in the sense, and you can host that static content in GitHub. And it automatically builds the GitHub actions for you on how it deploys from your GitHub repo to your static web app in Azure, and I think there's also a Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio extension for this.
1: Yeah, there there is extensions for uh, for GitHub Actions and stuff like that, and and I also really like that. And there's also an extension for specifically static web apps um, to to help you build them. So if you kind of want to just wire some something up, you're creating a new static web app. You can get the extension and you can just wire a new one up with the templates or the scaffolding and off you go. Everything is kind of wired up. You connect to your own GitHub and where you want the GitHub actions to be a target and all this stuff. And voila, you have a new static web app up and running and it's pretty cool. And like static web apps apps have gotten a pretty big upswing lately where you don't kind of need the server overhead, you just need a, a storage and then serve the pages with no real backend logic, if you will, just HTML and scripts. Um, so I think this is a, a move in that direction. And the fact that you don't have to now use a an Azure storage account with the static file hosting, whatever it's called, enabled. Now you actually have a dedicated option in static web apps. I think this is great move in this direction. And Yeah, the entire workflow as a dev building these sites now with the extensions, it's going to be a lot easier. So if if you're building static web apps, go look at those extensions. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, It's actually pretty slick.
0: All righty. I think we still have time to squeeze in a couple of more of the announcements. What's next?
1: So another thing talking about extensions is there is a extension now for Azure. Um, in Visual Studio Code. I think it's called Azure Extension or, oh, there's a couple of them um, for Visual Studio Code, which I really like. And it's uh, the Azure VM or Virtual Machine Extension. So, and bear with me here, this is actually really cool. You can create Linux VMs with pre-configured SSH access. You can do this from Visual Studio Code. You can connect to them and use the remote SSH extension to connect and use these VMs for remote development within Visual Studio Code. And to kind of say that again in in different words, you launch Visual Studio Code and you need to build something really cool, but you don't have the power in your machine or you don't want to use the power of your machine. You want to uh, offload everything to the cloud. Well, then you spin up a new machine in the cloud and you can run all the workloads when you build. And and have your dev environment in the cloud, all from within VS Code, not to be confused with something called Code Spaces, with which is something else we can talk about later as well. But the the Azure extension for Visual Studio Code for for this VM extension and the remote SSH, pretty cool.
0: So I'm I'm I think I'm following here, and I like the idea. So often if I do something, I just use my own machine or I spin up a local VM because to me, that's often the fastest way, mm-hmm. but I can, I can really understand the benefit here that I'm, I'm doing something and I want to get more elasticity, more performance, and I can now quickly spin up a VM and, and move my workload for the development phase to that VM, but still maintain the context in Visual Studio Code.
1: Yeah, so you do everything from your client app, which is, is Visual Studio Code in this case, and that connects to the remote dev uh, environment, which also means that if you close the lid on this laptop and you go to your next laptop and you open that or your desktop uh, workstation and you open Visual Studio and log in with the same account, you can also then start accessing the same dev environment, which is kind of cool.
0: Okay, so let's take one more. Uh, and you mentioned uh, code spaces, so perhaps we'll tackle that as, as the last one. So, GitHub code spaces, uh, my understanding, I was watching when they mentioned this during build, and also when GitHub had their satellite event a few, big, a few weeks back, they mentioned this. Uh, so, the idea, yeah. as I understand this, and perhaps you understand this differently, is that you have this instant dev environment in the cloud and Should you go to github.com find a nice repo? Oh, yeah, I want to try this out There would be a green code spaces button That you would click and it spins up a cloud-based dev environment with that repo Inside that sort of VM, but you don't need to RDP or SSH. You do all of this within the browser
1: You can do that. Yeah, and so in I think two or three weeks ago, when when this episode is published, they announced and talked about something called Vicious Studio Code Spaces, and there's something called GitHub Code Spaces. And I believe, and if you're listening to this and and you have newer information to this, then then please uh, send us a correction. But I think the GitHub Code Spaces is based on the VS Code Spaces, and that is exactly what you mentioned. It's a, a way for you to you know, cross-browser, if you're in a browser, get Visual Studio Code working in a browser if you want or directly from your Visual Studio full enterprise or from your Visual Studio Code connected to a cloud-hosted dev environment. And with the GitHub Code Spaces, this is, of course, backed by GitHub and a repository and everything that comes with it. So you can now manage pull requests and issues and all these things from within Visual Studio Code um, connected to that code space. And that's pretty cool. But the other benefit is when you spin it up, you can say, I want a juicy machine. I want you know a large, whatever the name of the, the different environments is. I want this to be the power of the machine I'm going to use for development in the cloud. Then you can just, again, jump over to, to the next computer and log in and voila, you have everything at your fingertips. You don't have to install the same kind of set up in in the next environment you're using within the the next actual hardware you're using and What I like about it is you don't have to leave github You know if if that's your thing if you work in github if you do a lot of open source Or even if you do closed source projects and you host that on github You can do a lot of things now from within visual studio code or visual studio or from the browser Um, the cool thing about this which I actually saw in one of the the key segment announcements yesterday, is all the settings, extensions, dot files, and other configurations, they follow you along. So if you have a custom theme with, I don't know, purple or green or whatever it is to kind of match uh, your preferences for when you develop, that follows you around as well. So if you sign in now to a different machine, all of those settings are automatically applied and ready at your fingertips. So all of this can also be done from the browser. It's pretty cool.
0: I'll definitely need to spend more time both on GitHub code spaces as well as the Visual Studio one. I think for now, the Visual Studio one is still in private preview, but hopefully sooner or later we'll get the public preview so that we can take that for a spin. Um, And then we have the last bit of the episode. We learn a bit of Swedish and Finnish with word of the day. What do we have in Swedish?
1: So... Something I read recently in the news is something that doesn't happen as often anymore, because right now we have a crisis and pandemic going on, uh, but something that's usually a problem is when someone doesn't want to pay for the train or subway, they stand kind of as flat as a plank, uh, just behind the person in front, so they can also pass in the metal bar, turnstiles, whatever they're called, as they flip. So at the subway stations and train stations, you have these metal bar things that kind of uh, flip when you put your coin in or swipe your yeah. card. You can go through it and, and it flips and the next person has to do the same. In Sweden, there's a word called planka, um, which means kind of stand as close as you can to the next guy or the, the guy in front and try to squeeze in at the same time as they are passing. Perhaps this is slightly more difficult now in the modern as uh, train stations because there's these glass things uh, you know flying right as you have passed it's flying behind your back so maybe it's more difficult now uh, but i did read in the news that this is they're seeing a decline in the amount of people who's actually cheating the system because obviously with the pandemic less people are actually using the system
0: okay so, so what, this is what about the
1: finish the finish
0: so quickly on the swedish word planka uh, yep. We don't have this in Finland, so we go more by, by the idea of trust. So you pay, but there's, there's no gate or anything if you want to get to the train or the subway. But I think this would be useful uh, in certain stations. The, um, the Finnish word, this is something I did not know exists, so I found something new for myself as well. So let me say this first, and then I'll explain. So the word is keinokinos. And it translates to an artificial pile or stack of snow. And okay. I wasn't really sure why we need a word for this because this is, this is one word. And the, the background on this is that a community and or volunteers build uh, an artificial pile of snow. So gathering snow, putting that on a pile uh, in hopes that the rare... Saimaa Lake ringed seal. The animal would survive better if the winter is one of those with less snow.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you, you have a word for artificial pile of snow to save the seals in case the winter is not good enough.
0: Yes, and the seal on a specific lake. It, oh, also, no. <laughs> imp- it also implies <laughs> that one, and and so what's you could the word all- for the other lake. <laughs> Uh, we don't have, well, we have lakes, but we don't have the word for those because they don't have the ring seal of mm-hmm. that lake. Gotcha. And, and this is also known as an apokinos or tekokinos. And the original was keinokinos. So we can kind of mix and match this, but it still means the same. An artificial pile or stack of snow on this specific lake in hopes of helping the ring seal survive.
1: Wow. I think this is good knowledge for me to bring with me whenever I come to Finland next time. In yeah. case I am by this snow, uh, this, this lake, then I will help the volunteers to gather the snow so we can stack the artificial piles up.
0: Yes, quickly, we have to do a Kainokinos. <laughs> okay. Kinos. And I think this is a good time to stop. Uh, thanks for tuning in on favorite announcements from Build and until next time.
1: All right, see you then.